Hi, I'm Arlen Walker, and I'm live from Pelham's Wasteland. And today I have another call-in from Jason C., um, other Jason, as he is known among the RPG anchorites, or as he calls himself when he calls into Jason Hobbs' podcast. Um, yeah, Jason called in to talk about my kind of Arbiter of Worlds and RPG agency discussion. So we are going to respond to his call-in. Um, hope you enjoy that. Hey, Arlen, Jason here. So, after listening to my buddy Rob over down in the Heaps podcast, I jumped forward and listened to some of Hobbs' podcasts, which made me jump ahead to your Arbiter Worlds episode and then listen to the present. So, I haven't read Death of the Author. I'm not all that well read, to be honest. Um, but perhaps I'll look into that or at least find a Cliff Notes version of that. I wonder, though, how valid that is, that assumption is, for nonfiction as opposed to fiction. I, I don't know. Without reading it, it's, it's not really fair to comment or to ask you to comment on it, because I could be talking out my fourth point of contact here. So we'll drop that for now. But I do wonder if it's fair to judge a nonfiction book not by what the author says a nonfiction book is supposed to be. And that was a bad sentence. All right, so first part of Jason's call-in about Death the Author. Um, uh, so the the essay that Death the Author comes from by Roland Barth is uh, – I don't remember how long it is. It's, it's not super long. Um, worth checking out if you are interested. Um, I think it helps to go to – the source rather than there are a lot of people who have, in my opinion, um, misunderstood or uh, misrepresented that argument before. So I, I think it is useful to read that actual essay. But um, anyway, so in my opinion, it's perfectly fair to judge uh, a nonfiction book based on uh, a sort of death of the author perspective. Um, because what death of the author to me really means is that we are not concerned with the um, trappings of a text so much as the text itself. Um, or that's at least one major facet of it, that we're not concerned with what the author says it's about. We're concerned with what the text tells us that it's about, because the text will, we can trust, tell us ultimately what it's about. And so I think it is it is ultimately uh, a fair argument to use it with regard to nonfiction to say that, you know, yes, we can um, think about what does the text tell us that it's about what does the text actually say versus what do we expect it to say based on what the author says that it's supposed to be about or things like that. And that to me is central to death of the author. But really, as I see it, uh, death of the author is uh, a tool in the toolbox, right? It's not the be all end all of how you uh, interpret um, literature or, or the written word or anything like that. It's just another 
way to do it that can be useful or that I find useful. So that's sort of my thoughts on that. But what I really wanted to talk to you about was this prior agency thing. So I definitely see where you're coming from. And there's no question the game mechanics influence the play style, especially the rewards. So if you have a game that gives points for killing monsters and gaining treasure, of course you're going to encourage murder hoboism. I, I, I think that's, you know, an obvious thing. Um, so the question is, and I understand what you're saying about true neutral play and where it falls in with sandboxes, especially with standard old school experience reward systems. But how much of this is that lack of a, maybe not a session zero, but the discussion beforehand between the GM and the players? If there's a discussion ahead of time to discuss the style of game you want to play, that the GM wants to play and the players want to play, and then that gets broken by one or the other, that can get brought up and said, hey, you know, we agreed to play a heroic game. You guys are acting like villains. What's up? You know, is this still the kind of game you want to play? Or on the GMs or the players to the GM, you know, hey, we said we wanted to do this, but you're making it hard for us to do that because, you know, our characters aren't advancing at all because even though we wanted, we didn't want to do murder hoboism, the only way we get XP is by killing things and taking their stuff, right? So I think there's discussions to be had there between the GM and the players prior to the game starting to set the mood and tone of the game and the play style of the game. And I think without that discussion, you could easily get people wanting different things from the game. So I'm going to interrupt Jason right here and say, first off, I think that's a really good point. I think session zeros are really critical for um, a lot of games. You know, if you expect... I'm of the opinion that if you expect a campaign to run for longer than a sort of very short arc, you should have a session zero to talk about expectations to make sure everybody's on the same page. Um, and because I think it becomes a good session zero, I think one of the points about a session zero is not just to lay out your expectations, but to continually revise those expectations in those discussions and to say like look this is kind of how this has developed over the course of the campaign is that still in keeping with what we want or is that a little bit off of the mark um but i think it's really true that session zeros um help a lot with all of that um I can't remember. It's now been a, a little while since I read Arbiter of Worlds. I can't remember if session zeros are discussed in Arbiter of Worlds at all. I I think there may be a little bit of discussion of a session zero, but not a whole lot. I think one of the ideas put forward in Arbiter of Worlds is actually to do kind of precisely what I've talked about in the sense that you guide players through game design rather than through explicit discussion of stuff like expectations in a session zero that um, I think it is fair to say that the, the perspective put forward in Arbiter of Worlds is in as much as it's about, it's about things like, you know, 
maximizing player agency and all that sort of stuff. And that its focus is really on the idea of using the rules and the world and all of the GM side stuff beyond just stating your expectations to the players in order to structure the way that the players will behave. Um, And that's definitely not necessarily a bad thing. I think it is a little bit, um, it seems to me that it's from a school of thought about games that doesn't prioritize. um, I'm trying to think of a way to say this that doesn't sound uh, pejorative. Um, One of the things that I think is cool that you can do with really great role players is that you can give the players more information than their characters have. And obviously different people feel different ways about this, but it seems to me that sometimes um, there is a divide between GMs who trust their players enough to give them more information than the characters would have and GMs who do not. Um, And I think... I, I personally am of the opinion, I'm a big believer in trusting the players to be good role players and to ignore what information, as their character, ignore what information that they don't actually have access to yet necessarily. And I think that ties into the idea that players are taking part in the uh, creation of the the story, the game, whatever you want to call the experience that's happening, because I'm a big believer in the idea that um, player agency is not just kind of what you can do, but it's it's a, a there's a sort of narrative agency that comes with playing, in the sense that players actually um, I really like, for instance, saying you know, roll X check. And if you succeed, tell us what happens, right? Tell us how you succeed. Give us the, 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 the details of what happens. Um, and I think that kind of shared narrative agency is a really good way to play. It requires a lot of trust in your players to be good role players, to not take advantage of all that sort of stuff, but the players are trusting the GM. And so that I've gotten off topic, way off topic. Um, I do think that um, if you had a session zero in a situation um, in a game based off of the way that um, games are, uh, games should be or, or ought to be, or the way that Arbiter of Worlds describes running games. Um, that the GM should not be surprised if some of those session zero expectations feel a little bit um, contrary to the the developing ethos of the game. I think that's sort of one of my points. I think session zero can do a lot for you. Session zero is a good way to get players to think about certain things, but at the same time, if you have a game that doesn't fit those session zero expectations, like if you say you want to play an explicitly heroic game and then you have a a world and a rule system that doesn't really work as well for that kind of explicitly heroic behavior, 
that's where right that's ludo narrative dissonance um the the dissonance in between the story and the game or the story that you're trying to tell in the game um and i think in some ways the like i said i think that arbiter of worlds i'm pretty sure it doesn't talk about having a session zero where you discuss expectations and i think part of the reason for that is that arbiter of worlds the play style or the GMing style laid out in it is really concerned with the idea of using the mechanics and the, the world to structure play rather than using explicit commentary from the GM. So I don't know what to do with that, but I, I agree that a session zero is a, a, I think a good policy in general. And I think it's a good way to, uh, Set uh, put everybody's expectations in the same place, and also to uh, structure things right. That that that's a big, a big factor, you know. Uh, but yes, Jason, you're you're very right. Session zeros are a really good way to uh, do exactly what you're talking about. As far as agency goes, and I called into Hobbs about this. I I don't know if he'll play my call or not, but. You know, I really do think if the player has the ability to make a choice on their own and GM's not telling them, no, you can't do that, no, you have to do this, I think you have player agency. Your point is totally valid that the consequences come with choices, but, you know, that's what it is. So I, I don't think that takes away player agency. And, and we can get down the philosophy of it, but I, I don't know that I want to get in those weeds. You can you know, use philosophy and say, well, in philosophy, a communist society is better than a capitalist society, but we don't see any objective proof of that in the real world. In, in real world, your communist societies have, you know, not worked as well as capitalist societies. When, when you know, talking V.I. Lenin communism, right? So, obviously there's a limit to how far philosophy really can apply in the real world. So, not that it's not interesting to think about, not that it's in, not interesting to talk about, but I think we have the same thing player agency. You know, in the example I gave Hobbes, you know, I had a character that was having delusions and seeing the other party members as enemies in his game. And he reacted accordingly and killed some of the other party members. And some people would say, he stole my player agency, but I knew it was happening and he didn't say, you have to kill them. I was playing as the character would act, in my opinion, but... I had choices, and I made the choice to do things. So I still had player agency. If he had taken control of the character and said, no, you have to do this this turn, I think that would be taking away player agency. But I think he just gave me a different set of parameters and guidelines to follow, and I played along those guidelines. So I don't think that stole player agency. But again, I know it's a touchy subject. Anyhow, I, I just think this whole thing, the idea of true neutral play and whether that's what a GM wants or what certain players wants, I think a lot of that really does depend on, you know, what the players and the GM are entering the game wanting to get out of it and whether a discussion's been had ahead of time. You know, if you, if you want to emulate Beowulf as the GM and we enter the game and you've expressed that to us and we bought into, hey, yeah, we're going to play this, you know, grow tragedy out, then... You know, if one or the other deviates from it, 
it's fair for the the other to call them out on that because we entered a social contract saying, hey, this is the game we're going to play. So I want I, I wonder if those kind of conversations before the game would solve some of these issues. Just a thought. Anyhow, I hope you have a great day. Talk to you soon. And I will catch up on your other episodes as I get time. I will listen to those middle episodes. So take care, my friend. All right. So here, this is what I see as sort of the meat of the call and the, the big issue. Um, I think the, the problem with not considering consequences in terms of agencies, specifically with regard to Arbiter of Worlds, is that Arbiter of Worlds makes the case that agency is what provides fun. And specifically, it does this on the argument that um, in real life, people don't have very much agency and that in-game they can have or should have more agency and therefore playing the game is more fun than regular life. That agency, having agency is at the core of fun. Um, I think if you don't consider the consequences of the actions as part of agency, then people in real life and people in the game have basically the same amount of agency, right? You can't hypothetically, you arguably have in some ways a little more agency in the game. I think like if you play a wizard, obviously in real life, you can't throw a fireball out of your hands, whereas the wizard in the game can. But ultimately, um, a person's choices are pretty much unlimited in both situations without uh, any consideration of consequences. And that, to me, is where um, the... So I think that if you are not considering the consequences of the actions as part of agency, that that argument breaks down. That basically, if you if you are saying, well, as long as you can make a choice, you have agency, and then you say, well, yeah, but then why would it be more fun on the basis of agency to play a game where I can make all these different choices than to exist in real life where I can make all these different choices? And Arbiter of Worlds specifically makes the case that the game is more fun than real life because people have more agency in the game than real life. Or it can be more fun because players have more agency in the game than they do in real life. And I think the point – and I think that really leads on to what – why it's important, at least with regard to Arbiter of Worlds, to consider consequences as part of agency. Um, now, I think you brought up a really interesting kind of uh, case study, which is when your character got ensorcelled or whatever happened to them and uh, was processing information differently. I see that as... Uh, one of the ways to maintain a high level of agency is for the GM to focus on information to be processed, not how that information is processed for the character. That one of the big places of agency for a character is 
not what they see, but how they interpret what they see, right? Because everybody interprets what they see a little bit differently, even seeing the same sort of thing. Um, and that that is actually a place of important agency that we have both in real life and in the game um, where we are not necessarily entirely consequence free, but we are more consequence free than in other situations, right? That for instance, looking at a beautiful piece of art, whether or not it moves you isn't really going to have a whole lot of uh, negative consequences in terms of like, it's not going to, right? If you're moved by a piece of art, that's not going to be an excuse for the police to arrest you or something like that. Um, being moved by a piece of art is sort of a, a personal internal thing that is generally positive. But it's it's so personal and internal that I think it's actually a place where you have a really good amount of a really high amount of agency, both in real life and in the game. And as such, I think what um, Hobbes did in that situation of saying your kind of um, the information that's coming in is different, but your um, interpretation is still up for debate it's it's based on the player's decisions not based on the it's not like he's saying this is how you have to behave it's this is a different this is essentially different information coming in than you had coming in before how do you behave based on that different information that's actually a really good way to maintain player agency even in a um a dangerous or a no-win situation um, and I'm going to talk – that sort of leads me on to, I think, one of the types of agency that I'm really interested in, which is sort of agency with regard to um, no win or unlikely to win situations, especially um, the sort that are kind of uh, – well, essentially a predetermined. So uh, to use the example that I'm thinking of is that I ran two sessions of a game called Paladin. Paladin, which is an um, adaptation of the King Arthur Pendragon rules for Carolingian France. And I played through the Battle of Roncesvalles, led, led characters through the Battle of Roncesvalles, which is a battle where the Franks lose and are decimated to a man, there are, the entire rear guard is killed. Everybody who takes part in the battle is killed. So in one obvious sense, the players don't have much agency at all. They, they're given essentially a predetermined path. They're part of an army, so it's not like, I mean, hypothetically, they could desert and um, be hunted down and killed. But really, their uh, honor won't even allow them to do that. In another sense, I think the players have a really important aspect of agency, which is that their sort of interpretation of the events and the actions is something that is left up to them, that they get to decide what it means to their character to die in battle this way and how they want to go and all of that sort of stuff. And that that's something important and interesting and that allows for player agency even in a place where it doesn't seem like there's a lot of opportunity for player agency and so sort of what i'm talking about is 
two different types of agency and one that is agency in terms of actions and one that is agency in terms of more kind of interpretation or feeling or something like that. And I think uh, I hadn't talked about that much before because I don't think Arbiter of Worlds makes a big case for in agency as interpretation or things like that. Um, but I think it's a really good point that that is there too. That you don't necessarily, that there's sort of multiple sources of agency. And even if an agent, even if a character doesn't have a lot of agency in terms of their actions because of consequences, they can still have a lot of agency in terms of their um, internal existence. And that, in a lot of ways, is not always, that's not always what we care about in the narrative, but that's a, a big, a big deal for a narrative, right? How a character thinks and feels is important to a narrative about that character um, in the same way and perhaps even more so than what actually happens to that character. And uh, that's a sort of, you know, there's a lot of literature that is about that concept that it's, you know, how does this character think and feel about these events rather than necessarily the events being the, the driving force behind the 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 narrative so yeah um i don't know i i remain convinced that if you're going to talk about action agency that you need to consider the consequences partly just because or at least specifically in this case because i think that's depend arbiter of worlds argument is dependent on that um as far as applying philosophy to real life i Honestly, that is uh, beyond me, beyond my uh, particular, not necessarily beyond my interests, but beyond the scope of what I have uh, available to talk about. I, I guess I'll put it that way. Um, but yeah, it was great to hear you, Jason. Great to listen to your call-ins and gave me a lot to think about and a lot to talk about. So um, yeah, thanks for Thanks for calling in again, and I see you've called in a couple more times, so I have episodes. Um, I'm going to do responses to your call-ins as long as you keep calling in, so um, we'll see what the, the next episode brings. All right, that's it. That's the whole episode. That's all I got. I hope you enjoyed. We had a lot to talk about today. Um, I've been Arlen Walker. I've been live from Pelham's Wasteland, and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody. <laughs>